Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jenna O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 117. We're back, and Sally's got a sexy cold <laughs> voice. It's a sexy, not COVID a voice. Smelly cat voice. Smelly cat, smelly Milly cat. cat. Uh, yeah, I had to. I have to come at everybody with a. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. <laughs> I've got a little bit of a cold, but it's not COVID. Better not be COVID because we're in a really small cubby. Together. I know. I was like, Jen, do you want to get in your cubby? Also, I have a cold. <laughs> But it's not COVID. I trust you. <laughs> um, I, I framed it as I'm getting over a cold, which I believe I am. I think you are. Yeah. I trust you. Yeah. I think. So right as we were about to start this, I just got a message. We got a message. Yeah. Um, through our um, Instagram account. What? You guys? And I wanted to show you this picture on air. Anna Marie Louise sent us this picture of a Mr. Potato Head upside down and she pointed out that apparently upside down Mr. Potato Head looks exactly like Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey! Look at that! <laughs> it really does! It really does! It really does. <laughs> Thank you and Marie Louise. <laughs> Motherfucking Potato Head Steve Harvey. <laughs> we love it. We've been hearing a lot from um, our listeners this week and it's been a real fun Real fun week talking to everybody. Um, Reed Burke, I just want to give him a shout out. He sent us a very nice, um, sincere letter just saying that, you know, he loves to listen to the podcast even when he's having a bad day. He likes to listen to us for some reason. And wow. it makes him feel better. So thank you, Reed, for sending us this really sweet letter. I don't yeah. want to read, like, the whole thing because I, I feel like that was a private letter between you and us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we're not going to blow your shit up. Yeah, we're not going to blow your shit up. Um, <laughs> we also asked last week for people to um, submit theme songs for the Night Clipper. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and our pal John Bunyan did on Instagram. And you guys will have to go look at them because I obviously, am, my voice is a little gone right now. Otherwise, I would totally sing them. <laughs> In tune, of course, like a beautiful, um, you'd be like, why are you doing comedy when you have that, when you have that voice? (laughs) Uh, But they're pretty funny and I really appreciate it. They were much better than my, my attempt at just like, night clipper, he clips at night. I like that. I think there should, it should end with like a, wow. Well, yeah, everything should end with a, wow. Yeah. The end of it. That's your favorite. Well, so thank you guys who have reached out because uh, every week we say at the end of the podcast, we're like, I'm like, you can find us here and you can email us here. And then nobody ever does. And this week, it's like you guys heard the desperation in my voice. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, you know what? These gals need it. Talk to us. We love you. <laughs> These gals want to hear from oh. us. And we do, and we did, and we love it. So thank you guys so much for, uh, you know, being cool, man. Yeah, we love you so much. Yeah. Uh, Let's do our quickies. Okay, let's do it. You're going first this week. Fingers, fingers, and toes crossed that you are not doing the same quickie as I. 
Um, I got a feeling. Is it is it an update? <gasps> Are we doing the same one? Yes. Oh no! I knew it. Oh shoot! I knew it. Okay, let's just you do your quickie and um, you do it, and then I'll be right back with a quickie afterwards. <laughs> well, go I, ahead and do it. Okay. Well, hold on. I gotta find my. Oh, well, whoever finds it first. Uh, I found it. Okay. (laughs) So, Jen, you know this, but uh, I'm going to share this with our listeners. This I got from the Sun News by Jenna Farhat. Okay, so... mine is different from a different source, and maybe they're different. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) I know. It was yours from Fox something, something. I'm sure everybody covered the same one. Yeah. But, so, you remember the quickie about the couple that was arrested... For having sex on the Ferris wheel. On the wheel. Ferris wheel. Okay. Yeah. It's the same one. Same one. Okay. So this was Eric and Lori Harmon. They were having sex in a glass gondola that was in public view, but nobody discovered it until the video was uploaded to some adult websites. Like, and I believe that we made the comment at the time of like, we were like, oh, if a tree falls in a forest, like if, oh, if, right, sex right. Only, if nobody saw the sex only happens on a Ferris wheel and nobody saw it, does the sex Did even they happen? Really have sex? Yeah, yeah. Like, is it a crime? Well, apparently in that same warrant, Lori had been accused of urinating on two vending machines. What? Uh, also, the couple produced a video in which Lori Harmon exposed herself and urinated in a public elevator, and <gasps> then she laid down. Man, that's the kind of shit. Okay. I worked retail for a long time. <laughs> long time. And I'm currently in property management. I cannot tell you how many times random people will just piss and shit on stuff. <laughs> like fitting rooms. I think, have we talked about this? We talked okay. about the girl who peed in line once. Yes. And like, name a fitting room and I will tell you a story about somebody peeing in it. <laughs> Swear to God, so public urination infuriates me yeah. because someone has to clean that shit up. I do remember finding when I worked at the Express, finding dirty diapers in the fitting room. Yeah, like come on, man, so rude. Trash cans. God, so gross. So yeah, so she's one of those. So she, these were all she like exposed yourself in the middle of a road. These were all uploaded onto the adult website. So that's how they saw these. So this was all for like exhibition firm. Right. Um, so Just don't pee on anything. Yeah. So she issued, you know, they were arrested. They ended up pleading um, guilty and like getting probation. She issued a public apology in January. She said on Facebook, she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to Surfside. I'm sorry to Myrtle Beach. I'm sorry to the Ferris wheel. I hate this. I'm here to apologize. I learned my lesson. I'm not going to do it again. And she's crying. So that was like, she was like, she learned her lesson. But turns out that was a lie <laughs> because oh God, the couple were arrested again on Wednesday for filming sex acts in public. Uh, they were arrested and charged with indecent exposure and participation in preparation of obscene material, which I think means like filming porn. Um, and they were alleged to have had sex inside an out-of-service photo booth at the Garden City Pavilion Arcade, also on a residential front porch. And uh, Oh my God. Both of these videos were posted to Twitter. And the investigation actually began when... A woman at the sales office in Oceanside Village, which is a resort in Garden City, called and was like, these two 
are a problem. Like apparently everybody knew about it. There was like, so there's continuing issues with this couple. Um, and she actually provided police with a USB flash drive of a compilation of all these different incidents. Like she basically found it all on Twitter or like film stuff herself um, and handed it over to police. So this woman was like, I don't, she was out to get these two. They had also apparently, in addition to all of these things, had been previously accused of similar acts in a food lion parking lot and in a park. So they got a problem. They really, they need, these two need to be separated. I know, but they're married. Oh. I mean, that's Well, like... you could still be married and be separated. <laughs> <laughs> so they're both, uh, they're both being held without bond as of last Wednesday afternoon. Man. Yeah. These guys. These guys. Get it together. (laughs) Well, don't worry, Sally, even though you stole my quickie. (laughs) I knew. I knew. So I came prepared. I I always have backup quickies just in case. And this one's a good one, and I think you might enjoy. This is from an article for People.com written by Vanessa Etienne. Uh-huh. And it is about um, a Belgian woman who was banned from the zoo. Oh, no. Because she had a four-year affair with a chimpanzee. Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's not as gross as it sounds. Okay. So Is this um, more like the, less like the one that I did last week with the horse and more like the airplane? More like airplane, less like horse. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, a chimpanzee named Cheetah, who arrived at the Antwerp Zoo over 30 years ago, Uh um, over the past four years, a woman named Addie Timbermans has visited the primate every single week and has developed a close bond with him. She told Newsweek, I love that animal and he loves me. (laughs) Sounds like a woman defending her shitty husband. Uh (laughs) I love that animal. He's my piece of shit. Um, I love that animal and he loves me. I haven't got anything else. Why do they want to take that away? We're having an affair, I'll just say, is what she said. Um, So the affair (laughs) is basically the chimp is on one side of the glass and she's on the other. And Uh they wave and blow kisses to each other um, from across the glass. And so... The only reason that the zoo is like worried about it is because um, they said that it's negatively impacting Cheetah's rapport with the zoo's other chimpanzees. Oh, because he's like he's he is also into her. Yeah, the zoo said when Cheetah is constantly busy with visitors, the other monkeys ignore him and don't consider him part of the group, which is like important for chimps. Yeah, and then he um, when even when she's gone, then he'll sit on his own um, for outside of his hours he'll sit by himself so they said that an animal that is too focused on people is less respected by its peers and so they want cheetah to be a chimpanzee as much as possible so they have um that's kind of lofty for fucking zoo people you know what i mean what so it's kind of lofty for zoo people to be like we want him to be a cheetah yeah in our in our cages in his cage (laughs) we want you to be a cheetah but not like in your native habitat, <laughs> like in here with us, but still be a cheetah. What's up? What's up? <laughs> um, be crazy. Get crazy within this like four square feet. Yeah. Yeah. Addie Timmermans um, 
still very upset. She says that the zoo is being unfair. She said that other dozens of visitors are allowed to make contact contact with him then why not me and yeah. so zookeepers are now working toward helping cheetah to learn to interact more with his fellow primates so the real romeo and juliet yeah i mean over here you know i get her point and also i'm worried for her mental health yeah me too yeah i know what if we just like stole the monkey <laughs> <laughs> Jen, you always want to reunite animal lovers. Look, it's my passion. You want to give that one lady a bunny. You all, you wanted to give that guy a horse last week. No, I did not want to give that guy a horse. I said, keep that guy away from horses. But you know, as long as they're not, she's not hurting them. Yeah, she's just blowing kisses. Yeah, you know, let's buy her a monkey. All right, buy her a monkey. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild story? I am. Okay. This one is wild. Uh, It involves ballet. Wild like a chimpanzee at the zoo. Wild. More wild than that. (laughs) Uh, It involves ballet and Donald Trump. Oh, shit. Yeah. And some other stuff. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll all have to read together to find out what. Um, Okay, so in the fall of 2017, 47 professional ballet dancers were all traveling to Charleston, South Carolina. The American National Ballet was a brand new company, and it had been built by its founders, husband and wife team, Doug and Ashley Benefield, as this like revolutionary ballet company. So it was like going to highlight racially diverse and physically unconventional dancers. So like they hired this dancer named Sarah Michelle Murawski, who was 5'10". And she had actually lost her last job because of her height, even though she was like an amazing dancer. Do I have something on my face? I feel no. like you're like, look at me like, no. Okay. I, lo- I just love ballet. Do you? I really do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, when you said she was like, uh, like lost her job because she was five ten, I was like, I know this fucker. You have to be perfect. You have to be small. You have to be petite. You have to be thin. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. No, I was just listening intently. <laughs> You're always surprised by my listening skills. It's like when we're not in front of each other and we're recording remotely. You're always like, Are you there? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm listening. I, I only do that because. Cuts out sometimes. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not like sitting in front of you, looking at your like, face. Like looking at my face, like, and I'm like, why are you looking at my face? <laughs> Stop looking at me, Sorry, I'll just Stop it. stare at the floor. Continue. I'm on my own cubby next time. Okay. Continue. <laughs> okay, so this dance. <laughs> This dancer actually like cried when Ashley Benefield, who was the executive director, um, who Ashley had actually been a former ballet dancer herself, called to hire her because she was just like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I've been working so hard and I've been like, you know, they hired another woman who was like barely five foot. They hired um, another dancer named Christopher Charles McDaniel. He had been the only black dancer with the Los Angeles Ballet Company. Um, before he de- decided to join A and B is what they call it, the American National Ballet, mm-hmm. um, because he was like, "There's just so much hope and promise here, and this is exactly what he wanted to be a part of." And so, all of the dancers had been hired on eight month contracts. They got health insurance, and people who were um, coming from abroad got American visas, 
And they were all excited to be a part of something like revolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. So many of them had turned down other contracts for contracts for other companies for a chance at this new opportunities, even though it was a brand new company. Um, most of the dancers signed year-long leases at this apartment complex, which was recommended by the company because it was only a two-minute walk from the studios, and there was going to be a rehearsal space built into the ground floor of the building. So although the dancers were excited, some of the more seasoned dancers were also a little wary because even before they arrived, the communication about rehearsal schedules and performance venues were lacking. And so when they got to Charleston, they were told that the rehearsal studios that they were supposed to have were not quite ready, so they ended up having to practice in this super small studio that they could all barely fit in. So they're like, pictures where all these dancers are like crammed into this tiny studio with no windows. And some of the international dancers were not even there yet because their work visas that they were promised hadn't come through. So people also thought it was weird that Ashley, who was like the face of this new company, she was the one who was the dancer, she was the executive director, she had not made an appearance yet. Um, And then on the first payday, there were no checks. And everybody was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so Doug scrambled and he was like i'm really sorry this was a mix-up and he ended up paying everybody but he paid them in cash which is also kind of weird right yeah because they're supposed to have all this financial backing and they said they had like 10 million dollars in investor wow. funds so a month into the whole thing the dancers were all asked to come in and sign non-disclosure agreements and they were told well something big is about to happen happen cuz this is not just a dance company it's a multimedia company and but that they needed them to sign agreements to be a part of it and everybody signed cuz they're like they're ballet dancers they're used yeah. to doing what they're told and then 3 days later out of the blue 23 of the dancers were laid off wow yeah just like a month into it And that was the first time that anyone in the company heard from Ashley because she posted a message on the company's Facebook page and it said, I publicly disavow my support for the American National Ballet and its leadership. I've been on personal leave and heard secondhand about the devastation that took place. As the founder, I am completely devastated by what has been done and the way it was done. The new leadership has destroyed all that we worked so hard to build and I cannot stand behind their actions. And everyone was confused because as far as they knew, Ashley was still involved with the company and this new leadership who fired everybody was her husband, Doug. So Mm. after the layoff, some of the other dancers quit, kind of hoping to recoup any chance of finding employment in the middle of the dance season. And then quickly after the layoffs and then people quitting, like everything else seemed to fall apart. Like there was this collaboration that was supposed to happen with an established dance troupe fell through. Doug disappeared, stopped like answering any emails. And so everybody was just like, oh, this is over. The work of Donald Trump. Yeah, <laughs> this is all the work of Donald Trump. <laughs> the, uh, the choreographer that they'd hired said, I had absolutely no return calls, no help, no nothing. And I was stuck here in Charleston. I've never seen so many lies. I mean, it's a nice place to be. It's a nice place. So many people hurt for, for something that's supposed to be celebrating diversity. So it was the collapse of the American National Ballet that first attracted attention to this couple, Doug and Ashley Benefield. But as a writer for Vanity Fair, which I should say that my sources were, uh, this amazing article in Vanity Fair by Alice Robb, uh, 48 Hours by Jim Axelrod, and an article on heavy.com, no author. The writer in Vanity Fair wrote, 
I have no idea that it was a story only in the earliest stage of unfolding. Eventually, it would take me from the site of the half-built studio in Charleston to family court in Southern California, and ultimately to a South Carolina beach where family scattered their loved ones' ashes. So, Doug Benefield met Ashley Byers in the summer of 2016. They were both at a party held by Ben Carson. Do you know, remember him? He was... Uh, Carson. He mm-hmm. was once the Republican uh, Republican presidential candidate, and I think he was then like the HUD person. Doug, who was so they were at a party at his house in Palm Beach, and um, Doug, who was fifty four at the time, was there because he was friends of some of Ben Carson's big time donors, mm-hmm. and Ashley, who was only twenty four, was there because she was working in the Sarasota campaign office of Donald Trump. Oh. Apparently her job was to galvanize the evangelical vote and work at the rallies. Like she said, my job isn't to talk about like policy. My job is to talk about what a great guy Donald Trump is. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, According to Ashley, she met Trump at a campaign event and he was so impressed by her patriotism and knowledge of guns that he offered her a job on the spot. And she wrote in her diary about Trump asking for her advice. Like, she was so flattered. He asked for her advice on what color tie she should wear. he should wear one day. And she wrote about traveling on Trump's plane. And she said, uh, this is a quote from her diary, he said I looked good in his plane. He called me a bombshell. He called me his little girl and his baby. He said he wanted a big fat kiss and promised her a job at the White House. Now, when Trump was later shown a picture of Ashley, he was like, I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. So, but she did work for him. So Doug and Ashley met and were instantly infatuated with one another. Ashley said, we started talking and never stopped. And after their evening together, Doug sent Ashley a text saying, loved my time with you, Ashley Oakley. And he called her that because apparently she had been carrying a gun in her bra at the party. So instead of Annie Oakley, he was calling her Ashley Oakley. So they're both big into God guns. And within a week of meeting, they were saying, I love you. And within just two weeks, they were married in a private ceremony at an Episcopal church with just them and a friend of Doug's who was ordained to marry them. And so this was the first marriage for Ashley, who was 24. She had been a former ballet dancer with the Maryland Youth Ballet Company and then a couple other companies she had done a couple of like week-long stints with. And she had tried at one point to be a swimsuit model. But both of these careers mostly fizzled out by this point. And uh, she had been teaching dance classes, working on the Trump campaign. She had actually written in her journal at the age of 22, I know what I want more than anything. I want to love and be loved. I want to be a wife and mother. She prayed to God, please bring me that special man you have chosen for me. And Doug, on the other hand, was a self-described serial entrepreneur, although it's not clear like how many of his ventures were successful. He was obviously successful enough. He had money. He had a job. He was doing all right financially. Um, He had been married once at age 28, but that only lasted six months. And then his second marriage uh, was a long-term marriage, and it ended only nine months before he had met Ashley. His wife, many years, Renee Benefield, had died from an undiagnosed heart condition when she was just 56 years old. So she had only died nine months before they met and got married. And friends speculated in the 48 hours that Doug was deeply religious. And so the reason he pushed to get married so quickly was because he didn't want to have sex with Ashley until they were married, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is just crazy for a 56-year-old man. 
They got married so quickly that they didn't even tell Doug's 15-year-old daughter, Eva. Oh, wow. Until they came home and he was like, "Uh, I want to talk to you something about Ashley. And she was like, what? He was like, we're married. And she was like, are you kidding me? Nine months after she lost her mother. Yes, she was like, you know, understandably stunned by the news. Like, she's dealing with her mother's death. She had been the one to find her mom. And like, and she and her dad had become super close afterwards. Like, her Doug had really like stepped up to become everything to Eva. And so now just nine months later, he brings this woman home who's only nine years older than Eva. Yeah, and like, that's weird. Yeah, it was obviously a very tense situation. And things were kind of hard in the Benefield home from the beginning. Ashley worried to Doug's friends like that Doug was going to choose his daughter over her. And like because all of her attempts to be friends with Eva hadn't gone well, it was clear that like Eva resented her and didn't want her in the house, which understandable and Doug's friends just thought like Ashley was super mature you know he was 54 she was she was 24 so in the Vanity Fair article one of Doug's office mates talks about the first time that Doug brought Ashley to the office to meet everyone and the office mate said something like oh well you know she was new to Charleston so he was like you got Doug here to show you around and take care of you and Ashley goes I can take care of myself and then she pulled a gun out of her jean shorts and he was like it was really bizarre she was like he's like I wasn't threatened she was like giggling about it but it was just a very weird thing to do when you first meet someone yeah so despite this like the tension with Eva and the awkwardness of this age gap Doug and Ashley seemed completely infatuated with one another like they would always send like lovey text messages back and forth and like another example like they they what? started that's so weird <laughs> they would well just like real <laughs> you know funny that, that there's like they really were like in love <laughs> <laughs> they really really dug each other I, you know they but also text. <laughs> they would text like heart emojis they would go to restaurants they, they would like hold hands in public. Gross. <laughs> they would ride in the same car. <laughs> Can you believe it? The gall. Uh, so, like, they started writing in this question of a day journal together. Uh-huh. And um, so there was, like, one of the prompts was, like, if you could go back in time and change something, what would it be? And Doug said, be with Ashley my whole life. And Ashley was like, oh, I just love him. Like, that's... So they were, like... Seemed to be to to each other. Right. They were lovey, and also to the public, they were being lovey. And they decided they wanted to start the ballet company together. So in the t- summer of 2017, they started holding auditions and scouting for choreographers and dancers and raising funds. And at the time, Ashley decided that she wanted to have a baby. So she asked Doug to have his vasectomy reversed, and he did. And things were already tense in June of 2017 when. Ashley read Eva's diary, which talked about how much she hated Ashley. That's rude as hell. It's rude as hell. She has a right to hate you. Yeah. Yes. Like, you should expect that. Sure. So, Ashley and Doug fought about this. And Doug actually ended up throwing a gun against a wall because apparently their house had, like, a million guns because they were both into guns and God. So, other time they argued he punched a hole in the wall one time he fired a gun like fired a shot into the ceiling 
And then, like, he says accidentally, but struck the family dog in the face. Oh, my God. And his friends say he instantly regretted his actions. He said, I did the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. But still, they kept the plans for their ballet. They kept up out their outward appearance of happiness. They even held a wedding reception for themselves just two days after Doug put a bullet in the ceiling. And then in August, Ashley found out that she was pregnant. So she had like a very rough first trimester. She was so sick that she and Doug agreed that Ashley would move into her mother's house in Florida so that her mother could tend her full time and Doug would stay behind in Charleston and deal with the dance company. Mm -hmm. And that's why in September, when the dancers arrived in Charleston, Ashley, who was supposed to be the executive director, was not there. So Doug and Ashley, they seemed to really miss each other during those first weeks apart. On September 16th, Doug texted her, no words can describe how much I miss you. And she wrote, love, I miss you too. But then on September 18th, this is 2017, this was the day that the American National Ballet was officially launching. Doug was at the studio for an event with the dancers. And at the same time, Ashley and her mother drove 500 miles from Florida to Charleston while Doug was gone and packed up all of her things and left him a four-page note basically saying the marriage is over. Oh, wow. The note detailed every abusive incident and every fight, and it ended saying, all of these things and more I have overlooked and lived with for now a year because I love you. But ever since finding out I was pregnant, you have continued to display psychotic, irrational, and unsafe unsafe behavior that has left me fearful for my life and safety, as well as that of my unborn child. She wrote, do not harass me or try to follow me, or I'll call the police and have a restraining order against me. She told him that she would only respond by text, and she said, don't call me or my mom. We will not pick up. So according to Eva, Doug was devastated when he came home and read the note. He started sending Ashley text right away promising to change and begging her to come back um and ashley wouldn't respond she ended up calling child protective services and told him about the like shooting the bullet into the ceiling and she was like you gotta check on the child like in the house and eva they investigated eva told him that her dad was not abusive and never would hurt her so in October, with the ballet company struggling, all the funding they hoped that would come through never did, um, and people were starting to worry about not getting paid, Doug, at the urging of the other like directors who were involved in the company, were like, you have to remove Ashley as executive director because we need leadership and this company is failing and she's yeah. not here. So when Ashley was informed, she this is the first time she call, she talked to Doug, but she called him and started screaming, you took my ballet company away from me. And then that was shortly after that was when all the dancers were fired. Oh. So Ashley was still in Florida at this point with her mom. She's still not feeling well. She went to go see specialists who were just basically like, you're pregnant. We don't have a diagnosis for you. This is just kind of how it is. But she was like, you know, I'm, I've been a dancer for a long time. I know my body. I know this is not, this feels worse than it should be. Right. And so in November, Mm -hmm. she sent a lock of her hair to a lab for analysis to see if they could figure anything out. And the lab results said that they detected dangerous levels of aluminum, cobalt, cobalt, zinc, tin, and barium in her body. And the lab concluded that she had been deliberately 
and systematically exposed to those toxins. Oh my God. And it said that it was possible she might have been poisoned. <gasps> and she's pregnant. And she's pregnant. So Ashley immediately is like, it was Doug. Mm-hmm. When she was still in Charleston, he would bring her tea every morning in bed. And so she was like, it had to be in the tea. And so that is when, after she got those results, is when Ashley started questioning the death of Doug's first wife, Renee. Oh, wow. So apparently police had found that the couple had been fighting, Renee and Doug, his, his well, his second wife, I guess, uh, in the weeks before her death. She sent text messages to him recounting how he had kicked her on their honeymoon and how he had put a gun to his own head in the past. And in the year before her death, she had been very sick, but the you know there was an autopsy. It concluded that she had died of a heart condition, and the case had been closed. So in November, Doug, who didn't know what Ashley suspected about the poisoning, sent her this fancy teapot and a case of tea for that was supposed to be specialized especially for pregnant women. Uh, I'm sure you and I both drink whatever tea this was yeah. to be like this will help, and then no, it didn't help. Yeah. Um, but she was like this might be poison. So she took the tea to the police and asked them to analyze it. And the results came back negative for any, any poison. But Ashley continued to have little to no contact with Doug. And in March, 2018, without Doug's knowledge, she checked herself into Tampa General Hospital three weeks before her due date. She told doctors there that she and her baby had been exposed to heavy metals and that she was hiding from a husband who had been abusive. So they checked her in under assumed name, and three days later, she delivered a healthy baby girl via a C-section. She didn't list Doug on the birth certificate, and she did not tell Doug when the baby was born. I'm so glad the baby was healthy. Yeah. So the next time they saw each other was in July of 2018, and this was in court because Doug was requesting custody of his four-month-old daughter, and Ashley was asking for a restraining order based on domestic violence and attempted poisoning. So after a two-day hearing, the judge denied Ashley's motion and granted joint custody. The judge said, there is not a single scintilla of credible evidence that Miss Benefield has ever been poisoned or suffered from any illness of any poison. Because it turns out that the lab where Ashley got her test results from has a history of being super shady and basically will return that result for anybody who sends in hair and they're like basically has no credibility. Oh, wow. So after this court showdown, Doug starts getting visits with the baby and somehow even after all of their history, they start spending time together again. Oh, jeez. They went to a marriage counselor in November of 2018 and Doug moved to Florida to like a not in, she was living with her mom, but like to a nearby apartment so that they could work on their marriage. But despite being back together, Ashley was still suspecting Doug of poisoning her and killing his first wife. And so she, she and her mom actually pulled Eva aside during Easter dinner and were like, your dad's a bad guy. Do you feel safe here? He killed your mom. Oh my and God. Eva was like, fuck off. Like, you're wrong. Uh, my dad would never do that. And they were like, we're, we're scared for you. But she was still seeing him. So basically for a year, they saw each other and were okay. They're married. They were going to marriage counseling, which actually only lasted until the counselor found out that Doug had been secretly recording their sessions. Oh, really? Isn't that creepy and the counselor was like yeah i can't see you guys anymore yeah 
But then in November of 2019, so this is a year and a half after the baby was born, uh, Doug started suspecting that Ashley was cheating. So he hired a private investigator who confirmed his suspicions, and that is when Doug asked for a divorce. He was like, obviously, this is not working out. So mm-hmm. the two once again separated, but still shared custody of their daughter. And soon, though, of course, Doug, who Ashley seemed to have a pull on him, she was he was asking to reconcile, but Ashley seemed to have no in- interest. She started accusing Doug publicly and in like custody filings, not just of poisoning her and his first wife, but also of abusing his daughter, Eva. And both Doug and Eva vehemently denied those allegations. But then just randomly in May of 2020, Ashley had like a change of heart. She called Doug and was like, I want to talk. She told him she was sorry and she wanted them to go to a trauma therapist together. And Doug told his lawyer who had been like with him through all of this like craziness he was like, you know, she owned her mistakes. I think we're going to give it a try. They started going on dates together. And after a couple months, Ashley suggested that they move to Maryland together because Doug was starting a new job there and Ashley had grown up there and they thought it would be a fresh start for them. So Doug told his lawyer who, and his lawyer was like, It has long been my belief, sorry, I know you don't want to hear this, that Ashley could be using this opportunity to forum shop, looking for a new jurisdiction and a new judge to whom she can restart this story slash case since she has not had any luck. So basically, yeah, I've never even like thought that like she's like, like, they're going to move together. Yeah. To a new place so that she can like start the poisoning issue over again. Yeah. Wow. So, but Doug was like, thank you for telling this. I, I, you know, I don't know if I can trust her, but I'm going to try this out. Um, and so he went ahead with the move. Uh, he got a U-Haul. And then on se- Sunday, September 27th, 2020, Ashley and Doug were packing up her belongings at her mother's home in Florida. Uh, the baby and Ashley's mother had gone on a walk. And then a neighbor called 911 saying they heard screams. And then another neighbor called 911 Apparently, Ashley had walked into their house carrying her 45 caliber hand, <gasps> handgun. I think it's a, psh, psh, a pew pew. Pew pew. Uh, and told the neighbor that she had shot Doug in self defense. Wow. In the background of the call, you can hear Ashley sobbing. So the ambulance gets there. Doug is still breathing. He's been shot twice in his arm and his leg and had a bullet that had gone through his arm and gone into his chest cavity. And he ended up dying about an hour later at the hospital. Oh, wow. Ashley wasn't arrested at first, but she refused to speak to police. However, her mother and her lawyer talked to them and told them that Ashley was creating an escape plan to get away from Doug for once and for all. They, her lawyer told a detective, Ashley was in danger. She had a psychologist, two attorneys, and a burner phone. She was also had a safe location and a rental car set up. She was expected to implement the plan the very next day because she was very concerned that Doug was getting wind of the plan. But as detectives investigating, they were like, huh, this doesn't seem like self-defense mm-hmm. because... There were no guns or weapons on or near Doug, Mm -hmm. so he was unarmed when Ashley shot him. Ashley had no marks on his body, on her body, that would have shown any attack. Right. And most troubling, it appeared that Doug had not actually been facing Ashley when she started shooting. Uh. So, 
Ashley was arrested in November of 2020 and charged with second degree murder. And she is currently out on bail. She pled not guilty. So Eva, who ended up dropping out of college, she actually works part-time at a coffee shop in Charleston. And she posts on TikTok. The reason, like one of the reasons this came into the media was because she had this TikTok about her stepmom and her uh-huh. killing her dad that went viral. And Eva said she wants to talk to Ashley saying, I just want to know why would she take my father away, my best friend, knowing I don't have another parent. Aww. She says that she won't have peace until the trial is over, but the trial's not expected to start until 2023. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Poor Eva. Poor Eva. That's horrible. Yeah. Sorry. It's a bad story. There's no resolution. <laughs> Well, there's never really a resolution, yeah. you know what I mean? But I guess we'll have to come back in 2023. I guess we'll come back in 2023. Or maybe more information will come out before then. But, God, I hope I hope that justice is served. Yeah. And I hope that Eva gets some peace. Yeah, girl. it's hard to know what happened. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's. But I have a feeling we'll find out eventually. Yeah. The truth will always come. Set us free. <laughs> Come set us free. Come set us. Come sail away. Hey Sally. Hey Jen. Would you like to hear a love story that does have a resolution and it's a happy one? Yes, I feel like after that we need to go to Happy Town. Good. Let's go to Happy Town. Let's do it. Um, okay, so this uh, love story came from a storyforpeople.com written by Joelle Goldstein, um, and this just happened last week. This story came out, so it's very right. recent. When Reed Alexander was just 17 years old, he was diagnosed with what's called Alport syndrome. Have you ever heard of it? Uh-uh. Um, it's an inherited disease that causes damage to the, to the blood vessels in the kidney, which can lead to hearing loss, eye problems, kidney disease, and kidney failure, uh. which is awful. Yeah. He's 24 years old now. After he graduated from college is when doctors informed him that his kidneys were only functioning at 20% and that he would need to start dialysis while he waited for a transplant, Yeah, which is very scary. Even though the diagnosis, you know, it is a scary one, he still decided... He's from uh, Kokomo, Indiana, oh, but he... Um, yeah. I didn't know that sounds so uh, exotic. <laughs> There's a I only know because I went to <laughs> college in Indiana. Oh yeah, you're from Kokomo, and there's also like a Peru, Indiana. Really? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I really love Indiana. Do you? Well, I love Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, well, yeah. Bloomington <laughs> is great. And um, in other parts of Indiana are... I've never been to. I'm just basing the entire state off of this one teeny tiny town that we did comedy in. Yeah. Um, so he so he grew up in Kokomo, Indiana, and then but he decided, even though he got this you know alarming prognosis and was waiting for a transplant, he still decided that he was going to move to Denver and start a new life. Yeah, he told People Magazine, "I really love it out there. I got a job two days before I was moving, and I was really determined to do it. I did it on a whim." And then not long after he moved there, Reed decided to log into a little dating app called Tinder. Ooh. Have you heard of it? I have heard. Mm-hmm. And that's where he ended up meeting 26-year-old Rafael Diaz. Um, so they started talking on Tinder in t- August of 2020. Can I Raf- tell you what? It's, 
I think I've made this point on this podcast. Uh Uh-huh. But I find it's so mind-blowing to me that things have happened. Like, that there's enough time for a love story to happen when they met in August of 2020. Because in my mind, we're still in March of 2020. I know. I know. crazy pants. It really is. Yeah, it's wild. I know. I was talking to somebody the other day that was telling me that they had lived here um, for... uh, They were like, oh, I moved here in um, 2012 or whatever. I was like, so you haven't been there here that long. <laughs> it was like, that's not long. And I was like, no. <laughs> 2012, I'm still in it. Right. I know. <laughs> so, um, so they really hit it off. And Reed said, and we were together every day um, ever since. That's so awesome. And yeah. he said, if we really just hit it off. And we were together every day since. It felt like we knew each other for a really long time, and it still feels like that to us. And so, you know, while they were getting to know each other, you know, Reed actually, like, in the very beginning kind of told um, Raphael about his medical history. He said that he told them right away because he said it would, it would be hard to hide his hearing aids and also, like, apparently you can't eat salt when you have Alport syndrome because... Yeah. Um, you have to limit sodium in your diet. So, you know, these are things that would have to come up anyway yeah. if you're going to date someone. So, I mean, not that you owe anybody your medical history, but that seems like a thing explain. you would be like, yeah. to, that you would talk about. There's no reason to be, like, embarrassed or ashamed of that. Right. And uh, Raphael was not phased at all. In fact, he then um, just right away offered his support to Reed. And this was right around the time that he was beginning to prepare for his dialysis. So, not only did uh, Raphael support him and, like, he wanted to learn more about his condition, but then he also offered to look into being Reed's kidney donor. Oh, really? Yeah. Reed told uh, People Magazine, I was like, no, you don't have to do that, but he was very determined. And Raphael said, I was sure that I could do it. He was already a registered organ donor. And he, um, he said, I just said, I want to. You. you are someone that I want, that I love, so I can do it for you. And then after he decided that he wanted to give uh, Reed his kidney, which is so, so amazing, things um, progressed super quickly. So this February, they got engaged. Oh. And then by April, they started testing to see if Raphael was a match. That same month, they also decided to get married in a small ceremony because they decided that instead of um, the mo- using money that they were saving for their destination wedding, they decided that it would probably be best to use that money to fund the transplant. Yeah. Reed told People Magazine, we were going to wait to do a big traditional wedding, but then the realization of a transplant happening this year was getting more and more likely. So it was either saving up money for a wedding or saving up money for a transplant, and so we chose transplant and then this june after much testing it was confirmed that Raphael is a perfect match Yay! isn't that amazing <laughs> um so they were able to set the transplant date um for august 13th and they underwent the procedure at the indiana university health hospital indiana and um Raphael said uh, he was in a lot of pain initially, but he said, but if I had to do it again, I would. It's not only because I love him so much, but it's also because I will be able to share 
life with him and enjoy this feeling that made him happy. Isn't that so sweet? That's so sweet. And uh, Reed said, I don't think there's anything that I can do that shows my appreciation. It means so much to me. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave me an organ so that I could live a better life and be healthy. And that's just so amazing. I've already cried so much from the first day that I woke up in the hospital after the surgery and every day after, every time we see each other, I just cried. It means a lot to me. And so they're both uh, currently recovering at Reed's parents' home in Indiana, and they're um, eager to return to Colorado. Raphael said, I think the next step for us in this journey is to enjoy as much as we can because we never know what can happen next. And so they hope that their story will bring awareness of the importance of organ donation, which, by the way, if you do want to be an organ donor, you can go to organdonor.gov for more information. But Raphael also said, you never know who may need you for that or where you can help. You can help families. You can help people. You can help to change the life of someone else and give someone the opportunity opportunity that they didn't have before. If you can do it, do it. And then Reed said, expect the unexpected. I never would have thought I would move across the country and meet the love of my life and then the love of my life would also be a perfect match and I would get a kidney. (laughs) Never would have expected that. Raphael said it was meant to be. Oh, that's a good one. That's apple pie. There you go. Also, uh, uh, just quick correction. I'm already correcting myself. So you guys don't have to because I already know. Uh, Get off her back. Raphael's 28 years old, not 26. Ugh. How could you? Excuse me. Never mind that. Sorry. I know. Isn't that just such a great love story? That is. And I just am, uh, I mean, they fell in love Got married, got a new kidney, all during this fucking pandemic. Can you believe it? I know. Talk about bringing light into this, into so much darkness. And so amazing that, like, it all was like he just decided that he was going to live his life and not like stay put and stay frozen in like. You know, like move to Denver like on a whim, and then look at what happened. Yeah, amazing. So, so guys, like he knew. go for it. Take the chance. Follow your dreams. Do it. Swipe on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. All right. Let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. Okay. So I'll go first. Uh, something dumb is this dumb cold. I hate it. Yeah. It's. Uh, but you sound cool. Do I? I feel I like know. I just sound like. I'm you sound like Daria. <laughs> Daria. Ooh, that's like the coolest. You I sound like you to don't be Daria. Give a fuck. I don't give a fuck, Jen. <laughs> just kidding. I it's give so like many bizarro fucks. Bizarro Sally, because she's always so cheery and sunshine. And I give Sally's so many cares. Just... Uh, <laughs> but I did love Daria. But yeah, and I realized I was like, oh, it's been a long time. Like because of COVID and because of masks and stuff, it's been so long since I've been sick like this. Like I usually yeah. get like. Lots of seasonal sicknesses, and like this one came from Max. It's not COVID, not COVID, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. But that's dumb. Uh, the thing that I love, I think I, I'm on the mend, right? Yeah, yeah, you look great. Thanks. You look fantastic. I showered. Uh, the thing I love is we got to see each other this weekend, and that yeah. was fun. We did a show at the East Atlanta Strut, and that was super fun. It was like yeah. an outdoor show. The audience was great. It was great. People were fun. 
It was great. And that just is like so rare that outdoor comedy is fun. I know. You know, it's so funny because all week long I was like telling people like, you know, it's an outdoor festival It's an show. outdoor daytime That's show. That's not yeah. going to be the great outdoors. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. keep your expectations to a minimum. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can come if you want, but it's not going to be good. And um, But it ended up being great. Yeah, it was, it was like, great. So great. Um, all the comics were amazing. There were tons of people. They all sat. They listened. Yeah. Um, it was, and they laughed. They laughed. The it was so lovely. Yeah, it was we great. We had a great time. And it's funny. I was actually had for something I love um, was, um, so when we were at the uh festival uh-huh. uh, my friend Jen who I wanted to shout out her business uh, because it's just so yummy it's three Lola's bake shop which yeah. is uh, Filipino um, pastry so delicious oh my god yeah I shared with I made everybody take a bite yeah um, and um, it safely and uh, we shared and it was so good oh my god it's so amazing um, so please look up three Lola's bake shop and they um, do pop-ups I believe every other weekend at Astralita, which is in Grant Park here in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and that menu for that restaurant looks amazing. So I'll be there soon. For something dumb, you know, I ended with the I went ended with some good pastries. Let's just talk yeah. about the pastries. Good you pastries. know, we don't need to talk about dumb stuff. No, we can just talk the about time. delicious food. That, yeah. Like, Made me think back because my family used to live in the Philippines when I was young, and it made me oh, think right. back to it. I was like, brought me back to like six year old Sally. It was delicious. I forgot. Yeah. And one more thing that's awesome, Sally and I have another show together tonight. It's like yeah. finally the universe is booking us on the same show. Oh, or our happens. friends are. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were uh, there tonight, good to see you. Yeah. Uh, otherwise. And don't forget about the Red Clay Comedy Festival. I'm going to say this every episode until the Red Clay Comedy Festival. You can buy tickets on redclaycomedy.com. Come see me and Sally. You'll also see a lot of other amazing comedians, including Sam Jay, Akash Singh, James Adomian, and many, many others. So yeah. it's just we're a great have a magic show. Magic show? Yeah. It's like just a great way to see a lot of really good comedy because so many people come to town for it it's just like everybody is like in the best mood yeah it's, it's gonna be walkable so fun. location yeah you, all you have to do is get to east atlanta and you walk everywhere yeah so we'll see you there we'll uh, see you. but this week i hope you guys keep sending us messages on instagram on facebook on tiktok uh we're all at dumb love podcast you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com we love you guys so much. Tell a friend. We'd love that. Tell all your friends. Um, and don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum,